Hello and welcome back to The Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and on today's episode, we're laying down the laws for our pets. Laws for Paws, a Santa Barbara-based nonprofit started by attorney Robin Unander, does just that. Laws for Paws is a legal resource service that explains to pet owners their rights, especially when it comes to housing. Robin Unander started the nonprofit after realizing there is a need for animal advocacy in shelters. She recognized that a major problem was that a lot of tenants were being told by their landlords that owning a pet was a lease violation, causing shelters to become a repository for animals who couldn't stay with their owners. Now, it's Robin's goal to educate landlords and tenants about their rights and the law behind having a reasonable accommodation for emotional support animals in a lease. I'm joined here today by Robin Unander, founder of Law for Paws and several other nonprofits, including Mother's Helpers and the Animal Rescue Kennels to Couches. She currently works for UC Santa Barbara as a student legal service director for the Associated Students, which in fact motivated her to bring her legal skill set into the animal rescue world as well. Also a Santa Barbara Independent 2022 local hero. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So can you first tell me about the work you do for Law for Paws? So what Law for Paws is primarily about is a a resource service for tenants who are facing housing discrimination um, on the basis of having a request for a reasonable accommodation for an emotional support animal or they would like to request one and they want to understand what their rights and duties and how to go about that process. So I try to be an available free resource for the tenants that want to understand how that works. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the different legal scenarios you tackle when it comes to pets and to ownership? So a couple of the scenarios that have come up, um, example of one I'm working through right now, a a tenant who's down in Orange County. And because I'm based in Santa Barbara, it's not easy for me to just hop down there to to do court representation and jump in on their unlawful detainer. But they are being evicted because a landlord who is an individual, not a property management company, did not like that they had brought in a dog. And the father and the family, and this is a family that has lived in this apartment for over 20 years. He got a letter from a qualified provider, his own primary care, uh, to recommend that he have an emotional support animal. He had a dog that he wanted to have as his emotional support animal, and he made the request to have a reasonable accommodation to the pet policy to have the dog. Here's my letter. Here we go. The landlord never responded, didn't say no, didn't say, I don't like your letter, or I have issues because of this, just did nothing. And and then the landlord got a complaint from a downstairs neighbor about the dog barking too much. Now, conveniently, there is history between those two neighbors. And the landlord seized upon that opportunity from the neighbor complaining about this dog barking to say, well, that dog has to go. But what the landlord did wrong 
was instead of acknowledging, okay, I, ex I see your request. I'm going to reasonably accommodate you to have an emotional support animal, but I'm getting complaints about that dog barking. So we need to talk about this or we need to talk about another animal. An emotional support animal is not a service animal. It can be a guinea pig. It can be a dog. It can be a fish. It can, it can be anything. And the landlord has the right to say, I don't think that ostrich is going to work in this apartment. So can we try something else? Acknowledging the request, acknowledging the entitlement, but has a right to say, yeah, that's not going to work. So in a case where you have a dog, perhaps that is an incessant barker, right? That's disrupting other neighbors. The landlord would have the right to say, hey, I recognize your request and, and that's fine, but I'm getting complaints. And so we need to talk about a different animal. In that situation, the landlord just said, you have three days to get rid of that dog or get out. So that would be a classic scenario of what I see and why I started doing Law for Paws. I spoke with a former UCSB student, Mia Martin, who consulted Robin in Law for Paws concerning a legal tiff she and her roommates were having with their landlord. In 2019, Mia got her cat Clyde and went through the paperwork of declaring the cat as an emotional support animal, treating her mental health. Here is Mia's story. I'm pretty sure I got Clyde in the summertime before I moved into my third year house and I knew about the ESA laws and everything and, you know, what a service animal is and isn't and the paperwork I needed to get. So I got that all figured out beforehand, but upon signing the lease, I saw it said um, no pets, strictly no pet policy. But despite that, they're supposed to, you know, allow them since he helped me out a lot because. I was going through some stuff, transitioning from second year to third year, you know, the college depression, <laughs> but um, so I had it all figured out and I thought that we were all going to be on the same page when I submitted everything and they accepted me and my, I lived with five other girls at the time. So we all got accepted into the house, moved in and it wasn't until like a good amount of time and I want to say four to five months in that somebody saw the cat like a, a groundskeeper or the the landlord or something saw the cat and sent me an email saying that I had three to five days to remove the issue or I'd be fined a pet penalty tongue twister of $50 a day which is crazy and so it it did take me a while to type up an email and respond to it sufficiently about how I had the paperwork and I know there was no pet policy, but despite that, you know, the back and forth between that, it became this huge issue where they just basically said, no, we're not taking it. So then I was stressed out about, do I need to find a lawyer because they threatened to sue if I didn't pay the money by the end of the month and what, what's, 50 times 30. It had been a good amount of days and I am a broke college student. I didn't have the money to pay the fees, but I also knew that I didn't have to. So then I was looking at lawyers to help <laughs> represent me. And of course, the other caveat with having like a joint lease in IV, especially they get you that way. Everybody in the house is accountable for 
the issue that I brought in. So we were all getting sued. You know, as soon as the legal stuff got involved, it was a mess. Right. So this dilemma between renter and landlord and all of the moving parts of pet ownership was essentially the the catalyst for getting involved in laws for paws, which is Robin's legal work. And one of the criteria of keeping a pet in a home that a landlord disagrees with is proving that a pet can be used for emotional support, um, perhaps as a type of treatment for mental health or for other types of emotional support. So if you're comfortable with it, can you tell me why Clyde was so impactful for your health and happiness in the first place? When I get really sad, I tend to do nothing for myself. You know, I will stop doing my laundry. I won't eat. I don't even get out of the house to go anywhere. I was missing classes. The times I would go out, I was fighting people. So I sound so dramatic now looking back on it, but I got Clyde on a whim because I was just scrolling through Craigslist. I don't know why. It's kind of, I had doom scrolls through free and for sale and craigslist when i had nothing to do and i had been inside for days and i came across this ad for a cat that was free and the lady in the picture was holding him by his scruff and he looked so sad and so helpless and the page it was written in spanish and it basically said come pick him up now because we can't have him i don't know why i made the decision but i just literally got up that day drove to Compton which is where he was picked him up the lady comes outside she just reached her hand outside the door holding him by his scruff and just dropped him and then closed the door I was like okay it's just me and you bud <laughs> and ever since the time that I got him it gave me a reason to go outside or to just be present that wasn't about myself it removed the responsibility from myself to this little thing that needs me. So I was going outside to get him food. I bought a leash for him. So I was walking him just so he got used to the outside. <clears throat> when he was eating, I was like, oh, maybe I sh should eat too. And I was doing laundry because he was ripping stuff up. He peed in the house a couple of times. So that prompted me to do that. It just... It's a big thing to have something to care for that's not yourself. So in that sense, he kind of, I don't want to put gravity on it, but I feel like he saved my life in a way because I was just going to let it slip if I didn't have anything else. So owning a pet is a double positive, if you will, giving a new life and meaning to the pet, just like how Clyde went from a Craigslist listing to Mia's loving home, and then all of the emotional support benefits that a cat can provide for its owner. Now, Law for Paws was Mia's biggest cheerleader through the legal battle. While in the end, Mia did have to rehome the cat due to a couple factors, namely the cat had an injury and Mia had said the landlord made her feel like she was putting her housemate's financial stability at jeopardy, Law for Paws was on her team through it all. Here's Mia on the conflict of interest she experienced now having this cat that she loved and cared for, but also being at risk for an eviction. I know how ESA animals can sound. I obviously get that. You know, people just sign the paperwork to have their pet in their house, which is 
understandable. You know, pets do a lot. But it felt like I was finally in a place where I was stable and I was happy with the situation that was going on. And they were just like, no, that's we're not going to let that happen. It doesn't matter if he does this for you. It doesn't matter if he provides this or comfort or love or motivation. They were just like, we're not allowing it. And they went so far to prove their point and to be adamant in their refusal. It was it was insane. <laughs> Could you tell me how Robin and Law for Paws helped you along in the process? I know it wasn't a super favorable outcome, but to have someone rooting for you, cheering for you, and trying to help you in these legal disputes, especially when eviction's on the line, what did that feel like? Finding her was honestly so awesome because I was running out of options. I obviously couldn't afford a lawyer fee. I didn't have the money. So I went to, I was looking at the school resources and I found, I forgot what the name of the actual building that she worked in was, but I went in there kind of like a grasping at the last straw and I sat down and talked to her and she just lit up after I told her my story she was so fired up and was like you know what I'm gonna take you on pro bono she said these guys can't keep getting away with belittling people and the things that they need for their mental health no matter how absurd or crazy it sounds to them she's like I've had so many stories that are similar to yours and people usually end up turning over you know and just giving up or bringing the cat back home or putting it up for adoption or giving it away But Robin was like, no, we're going to sit here and fight this. And ever since the first day that I met her, it just gave me this little beacon of hope. Like, I have somebody on my side, finally, because my housemates were fed up with me. They were just like, get rid of the cat, Mia, you know. But I wasn't ready to give up. And it was really helpful and heartwarming that Robin believed in me enough to just fight for me for free and just out of her own kindness and understanding of what I was going through. Yeah, absolutely. And law for pause is revolutionary for a lot of people and families who are going through the exact same thing and the exact same tribulations of landlords or property managers not agreeing with owning a pet. But, um, also, at the same time, Law for Paws is trying to fight for that emotional support, that mental health help, and, and just the love and adornation that you have for pets. So um, it's a great resource, and I'm glad that you were able to find it despite the outcome. Now, before we wrap up the conversation, is there anything else you would like to add? Not to be corny, but honestly no matter what reason you end up getting a pet, they inevitably become family. Some people have yet to realize that and just like the value it could really add to people's lives. I love that. Pets definitely are family. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me today and coming on the show. It was a pleasure to speak with you and your experiences. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. And now we're back with Robin again, founder of Law for Paws, on more regarding the work she's doing and what classifies as an emotional support animal. Yeah, so a different situation. 
um, through my network with the you know rescue and the shelters, um, there was a a friend who was over at one of the shelters in Los Angeles to take pictures and some videos of the the dogs down there to help network them and get it out on social media. And while she was there, this guy came in and he was trying to surrender his dog. And he was in tears and he was very broken up about having to do this. And he's explaining to the front desk lady there that his landlord said he couldn't keep the dog and the dog had to go. And, and he was completely just not doing well about it at all. So luckily my friend happened to be there and overheard this and, and kind of basically told him, Hey, come here, come here, come here, come here, you know, and, and stopped him from surrendering the dog, talked to him, called me, had me then talk to him. And I spoke with him at length about the process of here is, um, you know, here's how this works. If you want to make a request, if you feel that you would qualify for an emotional support animal, and it, it does require a level of uh, mental health disorder that renders you disabled in, in doing regular functions, you know, while you're in your home. For example, I have anxiety and I've got pretty severe anxiety such to the point that sometimes I cannot get out of bed or I, I cannot feed myself or I cannot go to the grocery store because I just have so much anxiety or depression or post-traumatic, just post-traumatic stress. And it renders that person disabled from being able to perform typical life daily functions. And if there is a qualified provider that feels having an emotional support animal can be helpful to that person, then that provider can write a letter, basically like a prescription. This person would benefit from having this. It's considered an assistive device. And, and then when that person has that letter, that's what allows them to go to the landlord to say, I'd like to request a reasonable accommodation to your no pet policy. So I told him, call me back. You know, I gave him the links to a couple of different websites online that you can connect with a provider. Um, if he didn't have a therapist or somebody that could do the letter. And I said, call me back if there's any issues. And I didn't hear back from him again. So I don't know if it worked, but he was so relieved. He was so appreciative that there was potentially another way rather than surrendering this animal, which he was completely just mentally and emotionally torn up about. I mean, absolutely. When you feel connection with an animal, it's just devastating to even think about the possibility of losing them. So to have that glimmer of hope is wonderful in and of itself. So what advice would you give to someone who is at risk of losing their home and cares for an animal? My first recommendation would be for them to look into whether they would be eligible for and qualify for a letter from a qualified provider to have an emotional support animal. That's first and foremost. If they wanted to have a dog as an emotional support animal, there's basically a 30-day wait period. That was a new law that went into effect last year. And that means that a qualified provider would have to basically have an initial consultation with them and then would have to wait another 30 days, do a follow-up consultation before a letter could issue. And sometimes, you know, it can be a race of time if they already have the animal and if the landlord is not happy about it, 
you know, and the landlord doesn't have to wait the 30 days. The conservative way for the landlord would be to wait the 30 days, see if the person actually produces a letter, and if they don't, then proceed. But you get some landlords who truly do not understand this area of law, and they do not understand that an animal for some people that need them, not not a seeing eye dog, you know, not talking about a dog that you know senses seizures, those are service dogs, right? An emotional support animal is akin to using a cane, right? You can walk, you can walk, you don't need the cane exactly, but the cane helps you walk. The cane makes it easier to walk and it makes it less painful as you're trying to adjust your walk because you've got this device. That's what an emotional support animal is for people that need them. So a big part of, of this is, is understanding the whole thing about emotional support animals. And what really frustrates me is whenever you see this topic come up online, right? Forms, Reddit or Nextdoor or Facebook. And if you had a cane that you used and you go and apply for an apartment, you don't have to disclose that you use a cane in your application. It's not relevant. It's an assistive device. It's not relevant. And yet landlords feel deceived if somehow this, this tenant applicant doesn't disclose that they have an emotional support animal. I tell them, you shut up. You wait until you get approved for that housing based on you and your financial and whatever. And then you make the request for a reasonable accommodation. You present your letter. You have that all lined up to go. And, and that's what I tell them to do. Um, but I get so much negative feedback about that because the landlords, oh, that's just dishonest. Like, well, are you going to approve them if they put it out there up front that they've got an emotional support animal? No, you're going to find some other context to deny them and, and basically say, oh, well, you don't qualify. I had a better, better qualified applicant. So, you know, that, that whole thing of, you know, oh, well, you're lying. It's like, no, you're exercising your, your legal rights to this. And then other landlords are, you know, if a tenant pops up with an emotional support animal in the middle of a tenancy, let's just say I'm a tenant, I'm here, I'm good. Something happens in my life. And, and now I am feeling I might benefit from having an animal and my therapist or qualified provider agrees, right? So now I'm presenting and the landlord is furious, you plan this the whole time. You plan to move in and then you were going to present with this animal. You know, no, you're supposed to present with this at the beginning of the tenancy. No, the law does not require that. It's the same thing of I'm walking around, I trip, I fall, I hurt myself, and now I need to use a cane. You don't know when that's going to happen. It doesn't have to happen at the beginning of the tenancy. It happens when it happens. And it can be temporary or it can be permanent. You know, that's why there's a, a requirement about every year you get the letter renewed, kind of like renewing a prescription. And lastly, before we wrap up this episode, this is Robin on how her work in animal rescue and law intersects with mental health. I think in this day and age, you touched on this about mental health, and we are becoming more and more aware of its impact and I'm hoping we are becoming a little more sensitive to it. 
instead of ridiculing or mocking people that may have some mental health disorders that they are struggling with. And I hope we can get to a point as a society where we don't mock people for their challenges. And that includes landlords who get over themselves and don't see that someone requesting an animal is somehow a personal misrepresentation to that landlord of, you know, they're trying to pull something over. It's not about them. It's not about that landlord. And the more that property owners and property providers understand this topic and their tenants and their tenants' well-being, then we're going to be on a better path forward in general. Because whether it's rent and rent control is, you know, a bad phrase. And so it has pros and it has cons, but manageable rent for people and either willing to accept subsidies that are offered such as section eight or other subsidies that maybe though they can make you know available since we have these skyrocketing rents that people can't afford even if they can find housing that conversation needs to start turning towards the well-being of tenants in general and their mental health needs and how do we become happier as a society Thank you so much, Robin, for joining me today. It was a pleasure to talk with you and about all the great work you're doing, um, not only in the realm of legal issues, but also in Santa Barbara, protecting our animals, mothers, and students. So thank you. Thank you. To support Law for Paws or Kennels to Couches, check out their websites. That link will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to The Indie. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and we'll see you next time.